There was a man whose wife was out running errands, and while she was, he thought he would take advantage of that time alone, went to the refrigerator and started to eat leftover ribs and was eating high on the hog. And after a period of two hours, she came home, his wife, and she discovered that he was not breathing, had choked on a rib that was lodged in his throat. And she called EMT who came and took him by hospital to an in an ambulance, took him by ambulance to a hospital where he was pronounced dead and extreme life-saving measures were taken and they put him on a ventilator and he was kept alive for a week and finally the family was told, we think it's best that you come in and say your goodbyes. And so the wife entered into that hospital room and much to her surprise, her husband was sitting up, color, talking to her. It was a miracle. This family had been hoping for the best, preparing for the worst, and what they experienced was not what they were expecting. And it all started with the man whose priority was a rib. <laughs> he never expected to die. And this woman, her priority was closure, going in to say goodbye. She never expected to find her husband alive. But that's the way life is. Priority leads to experience. And sometimes it's not what we expect, and sometimes it is what we expect. Priority reveals expectation. I don't know if it's formulaic, but I do know there is a point in time where we have to make space for surrender, laying down our will for God's, for everything he has for us, getting in front of experience and expectation, Prior, priority serves both experience and expectation. This morning, we are beginning a new sermon series. It's campus-wide. It's titled Altered, Experiencing the Altar, talking about the transforming power of surrender. And during this season of Lent, the next 40 days, the next six Sundays that lead up to Easter, we're gonna spend time in the Old Testament at the altar of God, and our goal is twofold, theology and transformation. Theology is faith-seeking understanding. Transformation is the heart set on fire. That's why we wanna understand this altar of God and experience the fire of God's holy love. Head change, heart change. That's what we're after. And the scripture that we read, the story of Noah, it speaks to that. And really, we're at the end of that story, talking about the end of the flood. Noah, he was a peculiar person who learned to exercise a particular kind of power for the good of others to the glory of God. He was the only blameless person on earth at that time. Genesis 6 verse 9 says, Noah walked faithfully with God, and he came from good stock. Just look up a few verses. Genesis 5, 24, we meet Enoch, Noah's great-grandfather, and those same words were used to describe him. He walked faithfully with God. And then God took him away. Enoch was no more. 
one of only two men in the Old Testament who did not die. That's your trivia question for the day. Enoch's one, who's the other? Contrast this family, Noah in particular, with the rest of the world at that time. In Genesis 6-5, we see how great the wickedness of the human race had become. Every thought, every imagination was totally and consistently evil all the time. One of the saddest verses in the Bible is Genesis 6-6. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth. What if a parent said that of their child? The Lord regretted that he'd made human beings on the earth. His heart was deeply troubled. And God had plans to wipe out the entire human race with a flood. But Noah found favor with God who instructed Noah to build an ark to save his family and two of every kind of animal on earth. And that story is so beautiful and charming that we decorate our kids' nurseries with their themes. And we never consider the damaging effects of floodwaters that cover the entire world or the tragic loss of life that surmounted or the isolation of Noah and his family. And we're talking COVID proportion. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights and they were on this boat for well over a year. Finally, the day came for Noah and his family to leave the ark. And the first thing he did The first thing Noah did was build an altar to the Lord and he sacrificed a burnt offering on it, Genesis 8, verse 20. God did not ask him to do that. Noah took initiative and responded to God's grace. He responded to God's goodness. Noah must have had very limited resources, been cooped up for over a year. But he was very intentional in this moment. God was his priority. And this is the first altar we see in the Bible. Others may have been implied. It's the first time the word is used in the first eight chapters of the Bible. And there's more detail given in the book of Exodus to the specifications of the altar. Numbers, Leviticus, we see why and how the altar is used. And actually, there are two altars in the tabernacle and later in the temple. And one of those was the outer altar, the altar of burnt offering. And the other was the inner altar, the altar of incense. The altar of burnt offering was used to offer blood sacrifice to the Lord. And the inner altar of incense, it was used to quench the stench of burning flesh The outer altar was outside in the open air, the outer parts of the temple. Inner altar was in that holy place adjacent to the most holy place, separated by the temple curtain. Inside that most holy place was God's presence. The Ark of the Covenant, God's presence thick in that place. And for both of these altars, fire is essential. On the outer altar, the fire consumed that burnt offering and it was started by God, tended by man, and it was supposed to be kept burning continuously. It must not go out, Leviticus 6.13 says. The incense was to be burned twice daily, morning and evening. It was burned with coals from the outer altar. And in that sense, 
It too was started by God, but tended to by man. And here's the thing. The altar of burnt offering points to a savior. It speaks to the divine sacrifice for all of the sins of the world. The altar of incense symbolizes the prayers of God's people and the rhythm of morning and evening speaks to priority. Morning and evening. Priority leads to experience. Priority reveals expectation. And we see that in Luke chapter 1 where we meet Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. Zechariah was a priest and he was chosen by lot to offer incense on behalf of his people in the temple of the Lord. And in Luke chapter 1 verse 11, there is an angel of the Lord who appeared to Zechariah on the right side of the altar of incense. And the scripture says that when Zechariah saw the angel, he was terrified overwhelmingly gripped with fear. Now, there were about 18,000 priests and Levites in Israel at that time, way more than needed. And each division of priests served twice a year, and when they did, there were hardly enough jobs for them all. Specific duties, holy and sacred, were assigned to the priests by lot. Each morning, your priestly division would roll the dice to see who would serve in four particular capacities that day. One to tend the offer, the altar of burnt offering. One to offer the meal offering. One to care for the candlesticks in the most holy place. And one to offer up the incense on the altar of incense. And those first three duties carried with them a certain prestige indeed. But the fourth was the most honorable of them all. No priest who got to go into that holy place ever got to do it again the rest of their life. 18,000, once-in-a-lifetime offering. Zechariah's preparations would have included tying off to a rope around his waist, a bell hanging on the end of that rope. He's the only one who could, who could have entered into that holy place. And if something had happened to him while he was so near to God's presence, the people outside would have heard that bell stop, and they could have pulled him out by that rope. Zechariah is the only one to have gone in. All alone, he would have taken a silver spoon and scooped that fragrant incense, pouring it over the coals on that altar. And then he would have laid prostrate on the ground only to depart as fast as he had entered. There is only one place deeper in the temple that Zechariah could have gone. When he was at the altar of incense, he was just a few steps away from that most holy place. And there inside of that holy place, Zechariah is bringing this ritual to life. An angel of the Lord appeared to him and Zechariah was startled. In fact, it said he was afraid, gripped with fear. I wonder what Zechariah's priority was in that moment. Maybe he was thinking about leftover ribs that he could eat when he got out of there. Or maybe he was thinking about his home life and his wife who was older in age yet 
barren, never having given birth. Maybe this act of service and leadership was incongruent with the state of Zechariah's heart, or maybe he truly was overwhelmed by the moment. What was Zechariah expecting? After all, he is a priest. Shouldn't he have expected something to happen there in that temple, in that holy place? I mean, he is yards from the most holy place, physically, in proximity. Shouldn't he have been expecting something to happen? This was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. His number had been called. He'd been waiting forever. And his mindset is, I'm going to go in, do my job, and get out. What was he expecting? I'll tell you exactly what he was expecting. Absolutely nothing. Let me just go take care of business and get out. Stuck in the mundane, zero expectation at all. That close to the presence of God and did not expect God to show up. He was expecting routine, same old, same old. Become an expert at expecting the expected. Whatever will happen, it's been the same forever. Wasn't expecting God to speak. Wasn't expecting God to show up. I wonder if that's the same thing that we expect as we come in to worship whenever we gather. And I wonder how it shapes our expectations whenever we scatter. The reality is we don't expect God to show up in our lives. And if he did, we'd probably be startled or scared, stricken with fear. Church, we expect the God who created the universe the God who parted the Red Sea, the God who stepped down out of heaven in the person and work of Jesus and fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish, the God who healed the sick, raised the dead, was raised himself. We expect that God to come in here, sit down and be quiet. I think his expectations are a little bit more for us than that. What's our priority? Fortunately, God is so much bigger than that. And God will do what God will do even when we least expect him to do so. What if we expected God to move in our midst, to move in our lives every time we gather, especially when we scatter? What if we experience God moving in and through us, priority leads to experience. It reveals expectation. And that is exactly who and how and what Noah's experience was. He was a peculiar kind of person who learned to exercise a particular kind of power for the good of the world to the glory of God. And God spoke into Noah's circumstance, his day, his time, his culture. And in obedience, Noah built an ark to save his family and those who would follow after him. The first thing Noah did after the floodwaters receded was to build an altar unto the Lord. And then he made a sacrifice. Noah did not strategize. He got straight to business encountering God, responding to God's goodness and to God's grace, 
by making a sacrifice, and he lived that way and set us up to experience and do the same. Noah lived a life of surrender and devotion, of experience and expectation. And God has been recreating, reshaping, reframing, reforming this world that we are walking, living, breathing in, using us just like he did Noah so long ago. There is a sense in which Noah is a type of Christ figure in the Old Testament. Jesus, when the time was right, stepped down out of heaven in the person and work of human flesh. He lived and died. Jesus was raised from the dead. And following that, he appeared to his disciples for a period of 40 days, over 500 of them, eyewitnesses to the resurrection. At Pentecost, Jesus ascended into heaven and the church was born. Actually, Jesus ascended at 40 days. At Pentecost, the spirit came. That's when he went from being someone on the outside of us to the one who lives inside of those who repent and receive this gift of God's presence. That's who you are. That's who we are. That's what our priority is. And it shapes our experience, forms our expectation. In Ephesians chapter five, the apostle Paul wrote, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. You all walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see those three words, fragrant offering, sacrifice. The altar of burnt offering, the altar of incense. That's who Christ is. That's who lives inside of you and me. And that's how we are called to be a people for whom God's love is priority. And it leads to experience and it shapes and forms expectation. What does it look like? Because God is inviting us to do the same. I want you to know that I'm on the Tyler ISD Foundation and our goal is to provide resources to inspire learning, to enrich teaching, and enhance opportunities for students through exemplary programs. Really, students, teachers are our priority. And this means a monthly board meeting on a Friday. It means that Leanne and I, even though we are not gala people, went to the gala with some very dear friends of ours. And it means that I got to experience grants for good ideas and awarding grant money to teachers who'd applied for creative space in their classroom. And I want you to show you what that experience looks like. There's no audio. 
But you can see we are preparing for this day of celebration where, I don't know if you caught Morgan Miller, Marvin member, student here at, at, at uh, Tyler Legacy, with us on the way as we're making the rounds throughout the district, awarding grants to, to teachers. Very fun. Woohoo! <laughs> so on that day, 26 grants, 16 classrooms, schools rather, were able to go into. And how does this roll out in, in my life? Because more than handing out checks, I got to walk the halls of 16 schools with a very real and alive presence of Jesus inside of me. And there were students that I saw and teachers that I knew and some that I didn't. And I got to get, make some new friends and some attend this church. I got to pray over every school, one of which my own student attends. That's what it means for Christ to be our priority, to lead out in experience and shape expectation. And it's not just about awarding grants and Tyler ISD. It's everything we do, every place we go, everything you give yourself to. If Christ lives in you, and I'm hunching that he does because you're here, and if he doesn't, or if you're curious about what we're talking about, what we're experiencing, what our expectations are, you have to know that there's an altar that Christ laid down on. And he offers up a fragrant incense. He's seated at the right hand of God the Almighty praying for his people. Praying for you. This shapes how we live our lives. This shapes how we engage in life at home, at school, at work, all the places that we go. That Christ would be our priority. That he would give us that experience that shapes and forms expectation that comes as we make space for surrender. That happens at the altar. So I want to give us some time to reflect on that, to pray into that. Will you join me? Lord, as we close our time out, as we journey through this season of Lent, as we live all of life, would you ignite something inside of us? Would you help us to be intentional to fan that flame? That we might make space for surrender and experience everything you have for us. Lord, move on your church. Move through your church that we might be your people in the world. In Jesus' name.
Amen. So I wonder what God's expectation is for this next moment. And I wonder what experience awaits us as we scatter.